Oh, yeah, we're back. The guru's here. Jock is here. Welcome. Howdy. What's up? Hey, it's uh, mate. You're looking a lot more comfortable today as well. I've got to say to the guru because um, I know it's second time round. You've had a couple of little compliments on your performance last week. Just a couple. I did think I was going to be one and done, but I'm back again. Less than a week later. Honestly, I'm actually a little bit upset to admit. I think a lot of the positive feedback's been directed your way in the podcast, and I haven't received as much as I felt <laughs> like I deserved. Um, we've got some added company in the little beach shack here. Where are we, by the way, just to give uh, We are in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> we are out near Bell's Beach, uh, Torquay, which I've managed to find for us lads. Lads trip, boys trip. However, um, I must admit, this is a little wild. <laughs> that, that shower was not that ideal. No, it's, a, it's an interesting space. That's Jocker's voice, James O'Connor, that we have speaking there. He's a, he's a new addition. He's the chief of the podcast. We've got the guru in Matty Williams. We've got Cam Williams, the, the junior brother, sitting in the background. Supervising. Yes. <laughs> yeah, didn't want to say hello. He won't get hit. Yeah, no, no worries. <laughs> and we've officially got the worst nicknames of all podcasting <laughs> across the globe. <laughs> Very true. Uh, they suit you to a T. But uh, the, I think the beauty of this is um, we, we gave the chief, uh, we gave the guru an introduction last week. We've got Jocker here today. So Jocker's a, if there's one person who's going to challenge Maddie in his running knowledge, he's on the other side of the microphone today, so I thought, what an ideal setup to have these two blokes in one room. I would say different kind. Oh, different kind. I think we'll we'll mesh in here pretty Com- well. Complement each other. Yeah, right? I think so. I think so. Might be some aggressive fist fighting later, but <laughs> other than that, or Jerry. No, no, should be good. Um, we've got a few things that I wanted to get through today, but I wanted to chuck this one at you just to kick it started. Um, I'm going to run the Melbourne Marathon next year. Mm-hmm. Good. And I need your guidance, and I need your advice, and I need your tips, because, Matty, you've already told me how disgusted you were with my performance last year. So, when I say disgusted, I was overseas sipping cocktails from about sunrise to sunset and some, but, and I'm not really one to judge and all give advice on this, having never completed one, but yeah, your pacing was, let's say, off the mark. Mm. I think once you start throwing eight minutes, 45 kilometres splits into the into the mix, that's probably a fair comment by you. So, And what did you reach halfway? Uh, yeah, an hour nineteen thirty. Okay. <laughs> I was about to make my comeback at an hour nineteen thirty. I thought, like, marathons are easy. I don't know what everyone's problem. Is. I'm going to kick home in an hour fifteen. Where, where did it start hurting? Yeah, probably about twenty three k. It kicked in really quick, but it was strange. Like, <clears throat> I knew, I knew as a uh, as a runner, like I'd heard about people. I heard people speak about the wall, and I heard, I, I knew it was going to be difficult. But I thought uh, in the lead up in the lead up to this um, in the lead up to this marathon, I thought oh, you know what I'll do a I'll do a couple of twenty five k runs. Um, I had Adam Dick in my ear; he'd given me Jess Tringo's training program, and I thought, yeah, I, I sort of get the idea of what I got to do. <laughs> and I thought, but I'm not. Isn't it funny? The marathon sort of like lulls you into this sense of security, thinking, oh, I've got this covered. Forty two k, this ain't too much. And oh my god. It can just absolutely pants you, can't it? Well, that's well. You, you're I've, done, from... I've won and done, and I'm a I'm a hack runner. I like that word we used last week. I'm more of a hack runner than you, and um, <laughs> and I did the classic, exactly the same thing. You go on our halfway, it just lulls you into a sense of security during the racing. Oh, look at my times! I'm on track. I was trying to do the magical three break three, and I hit the one about one twenty eight through, thinking this is all right. But then it was funny. It just gets you like a ton of. I was identical to you about twenty five k in. Down like down like yeah yeah hit the wall. What was Early. your what was your average mileage with your last marathon? Yeah, well, that, I can tell you straight away that was the problem. I was I was training with with Zach Newman and a few Motrams boys in the city in the lead up to it who were training for fifteen hundred to five k. Yep. And I thought, you know what? It's my longest run. I went out with Craig Huffer. I ran thirty k and I was running <laughs> at it. We were running it at four minute k pace. And I thought, yep. it is perfect. Like that's all I need. It's another twelve k on top of that. I get the point. I'm ready to go. Yeah, it's not a comfortable pace to hold either. So, nah. Yeah. And I thought, yeah, that'd be fine. Like race day comes around, I'll be, I'll be set. And I probably did two or three other distance runs in the lead up to it. And I thought, yeah, that's that's unreal. That's all I needed. So can I ask at your peak of being a you know fifteen hundred five k runner, mm-hmm. your average mileage then would have been one hundred and fifty k a week, roughly. Yeah, say on average. Yeah. And so then let's say when you're training for the marathon, you she were running fifty. Yeah. 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 Goes, yeah. You were running fifty a week or more or. Fifty. What was your yeah? What was your oh no no? Yeah. I, I was probably running. I would have been running close to a hundred. Yeah, it's one I session think. a day. One session a day. Yeah, yeah. So I was doing like a, I got up to like a two hour long run, um, a couple of times. But it's just it's nowhere near enough. Any marathon runners out there would be shaking their heads, going, "Oh my gosh, <laughs> you know better than this." And I did, but I thought it wasn't something I was treating too seriously. But I thought the the reason the thing that inspired me, I ran three hundred five. I thought 
come on, Tyson. Like, I'm going to have to. I'm going to have to try and get under that three-hour barrier at least. I, I think what a few things with the marathon. I think you just need that that time uh, in the saddle. Um, in terms of, you need a few years. Like I know you you ran a lot at sort of national level. That was like five years ago though when you sort of pulled up stumps. Um, you need to get that consistency back. It just doesn't happen. You gave yourself like six months to sort of get back to trying to get to a 250 or 240 mara. Um, I think if you kept going from last year and had another crack and say April, I reckon you would have taken 10 for 10 minutes off. And then I reckon if you were still training, so Nan did Mel Marathon this year, I reckon you would have been 250, 245. It wouldn't surprise me. Just yeah. because you had that extra year behind your belt. And if you got your long runs up, to say two and a half hours or so, um, but it's interesting. I, I was what, looking at Eliud Kipchoge's training in that now. That they, those guys marathon. I don't know if it's changed in the last few years. I think Paul Turgut started. I don't because I'm pretty sure Mona didn't do this. This sort of stuff. They do some bloody. Actually, Paula Radcliffe did it too. I was reading her book. They do fast like 40k runs now, like yeah. 38. It's and they're doing an altitude like at high pace. I haven't really followed um, Bado's boys if they're doing. I imagine they are. But I think that's something that's changed in marathoning, I think, in the last 15 years. I reckon Paula Radcliffe and Paul Turgo were the first to do it. I had a heated debate with someone recently, and the, and the debate centered around looking at what Mona's training was, you know, when he was a sub-210 guy, and even Trippy to that extent, and doing sessions like Mona's Fartlek, which are legitimately 20-minute sessions mm. to the T. 1945, if you don't float the last 15 seconds. <laughs> and it's a really and, short session. And, and, it, and it is, and... People were saying, and Australian training recently sort of migrated to those longer sessions, and the throwback from the older guys is, well, are we running quicker now or before? And it's really an interesting conundrum because it seems like as a, as a running community in Australia, we're progressing that training as to where we think is better, yet we're running, when's the last, you know, sub-210 Australian, Trippy? I think Trippy was. Yeah. What did he run? Two nights. Two, two nine. nine. Yeah. yeah. And then- Lake Bira? Lake Bira? Coached by Monas. Doing the in Deeks quarters, Monas Fartlek, mm-hmm. maybe a hill session on a Saturday, and it, it's quite interesting that the, the training we, we, we talk about what works, what doesn't. You know, the consensus is at the moment that we do need to be in those long tempos, thirty mm. k tempos. Yet, you know, you, I'd be looking at all those sub two ten Australian times. We've been done off short, sharp, dream. And how, how do those boys recover? Like these Kenyans, I know they're absolute freaks. These boys, like the Elliots of the world, and even the guys, the two four, two five guys, they're all. Ridiculous! How are they recovering from these sessions? I don't get it. Like, well, I, I they're think doing thirty-five, forty k at like not far off top. Even Paula Rake, I've actually I haven't seen her diary, but I was just reading a book. I noticed, yeah, she do those longer tempos. They're really not far off, off pace. Well, I think with the recovery, what Kenya has is they have thousands of guys willing to commit to the training, and what we don't hear about is the one to burn out. Mm. So in Australia, we just simply don't have those numbers. And so we get these talented guys and we feel like we need to nurse them through, which is why we're not quite having success. Whereas if you're an East African country with those numbers of guys trying to make it out of essentially poverty, you know, 90% of them burn out, don't do anything and go disappear. Mm. And the 10% who can handle the training, that's what they have. It, it, it yeah. is funny. We assume every, every East African can run fast. <laughs> there is a shitload of them that can't run to save their lives. It's a, yeah. Um, you only hear the good ones. That's a good point. But you know, I, I know there is a high, de- high, yeah. high amount of them. You go, you get the marathon ranking list, and the top fifty runners. You know, ninety percent of them are bloody East Africans. Um, In but, Australia, anyone who's run under two twenty is a, a potential highlight reel Australian marathon runner. What, what's potential singlet? Well, what's yeah. The, yeah, what's the marathon call for, for Olympics next year? The two twelve, two fourteen. No, what did did Liam Adam just miss the other? So Julian Spence represented Australia at Doha with a mid two fourteen which I think is probably around the cutoff. But that was a hot marathon. So obviously our top guys don't didn't really particularly want to run a you know a hot marathon, which is understandable. It will be more interesting in Japan. I think it will give a bit more of a truer reflection about what you need to run. But I, I dare say, you know, you've got like um Brett Robinson, Jack Rayner, the yeah, first two yeah. seeds. And they, what are they? Well they I think they're two ten to eleven. Yeah, two ten to eleven. That third spot will be interesting and, and what maybe a, a Liam Adams has to run to sort of get that yeah, third single yeah. but yeah. It's so interesting, the marathon, for that reason, in terms of Julian Spence pulling on a singlet. Um, Good on him, too. It, yeah, oh man, it's an unreal effort. Uh, a, a marathon like Doha, as you said, like a few of the top boys wouldn't run. And the, the reason is because, like, if you've, got a, if you've got a Berlin marathon, if you've got a Chicago marathon or something, saying, oh, yeah, I'll give you 20 grand to, to line up, as if you wouldn't take it. And I guess that yeah. opens up the opportunity for, 
But what, what a conundrum for a Spence. Like, would you potentially cook yourself in a Doha marathon where you know you're not going to run quick? And, you, you you know, when you're that age, and you're over 30, you've got a limited amount of marathons in you. Mm-hmm. You'd almost want to have a crack at a really fast one. So you potentially jeopardise a spot in the Olympics to run a world champs. There's all these interesting conundrums that Australian athletes have, I think, which is, yeah, it's it, it's a good talking point. It was interesting listening to you speak about other podcasts the other day, and we said before we... Inside record, Running Podcast. Inside Running Podcast. Yeah, great podcast with the... Um, just in terms of marathon build-up and things mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things I liked was to, to hear about his sort of... It's almost a scientific approach that he seemed to take to the to the course. It was it was way more in-depth approach to a marathon than what I'd ever heard. Um, and in a, in the heat like that, obviously, you make a good point. Would you rather would you rather pull on the Australian singlet or would you rather run a fast time? And I think just listening to the the approach that he took going into the marathon, it sounded like obviously he wanted to make the most of the opportunity. Because it and, might be one of his only chances. But interestingly, sorry to interrupt there, Tyce. For what it's worth, I'll chuck on the Australian singlet rather than get a fast time. I would too. Yeah. And he coaches one of the female athletes, Ellie Pashley, who has Olympic qualifiers over the marathon and 10K. And... Quite honestly, without you know degrading, she's a better marathoner than a ten k runner. Everyone would agree. So I think she ran two twenty six in Japan earlier this year with a tour break, an extended tour break halfway through. <laughs> so it, it, that sort of gives a bit of a detail, and I think there's room for improvement there as well. And she chose to run the ten k at Doha purely because you know bigger fish to fry next year. Which is that great for the sport? Probably not, mm-hmm. but understandable, isn't it? That just that risk that you've got to take to secure that. It's been that way forever, though, with the marathon yeah. and world titles. And even Olympic Games struggles to get them out of bed. You know, like, I think, well, Gebra did make 08, but that was more to do with the smog, wasn't it? He didn't rock up in 08. That's all right. I haven't thought about it in years. Yeah. He stuffed that up. Actually, speaking of Gebra, do you reckon, um, there's the Kenyan who won the uh, 08 Olympics. He ran a 206 and he actually died a few years later. Sammy Wayne Jury. Do you reckon Gebra would have beaten him that day? I don't, I don't know if he would have beaten nah. That 206 was insane. 206 in Beijing, an Olympic marathon race by himself. That's that's an incredible, incredible run. What happened to him? Did you, did you he died him? a few years later. What did he do? He got shot or something, didn't he? No, nah, I wasn't shot. I, I, shot I, I wanted, happened to him. He fell off a balcony. Oh, balcony. He fell oh, off a balcony. He did. Sorry. That's That's way less gangster. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, I was going to go for some shootout. Who's been seven blokes? And... I think he had a gangster three in him just quietly, though, judging by a bit of his lifestyle choices before it went down. Yeah. But, yeah. Unfortunate. Please yeah. elaborate. Oh, I think he was just one of those blokes who was a bit loose off the track. I think he was a bit of a, yeah, maybe not as committed to the lifestyle, which was made, oh, you know, that, those Olympics all the more impressive. Yeah. Because Gebra, I'm pretty sure, went out not long after that, ran 203.59, didn't he? The next 12 months or so. Yeah, Berlin, I think. Yeah. So it would have been interesting, but I, I don't think at the time, I don't know if Gebra would have got this bloke, even if he did decide to do the Mara. But, oh, I can't wish he to do the Mara. Imagine, imagine topping off his career with a marathon victory in 08. Oh. 96, 2000. Oh, man, that would be... It, it's, it is an interesting discussion. The thing I'm interested in about the marathon as well is last night I was just YouTube and I, was, I went through a phase of just being interested in, in doing an Ironman for an hour. And um, <laughs> as I was going through the phase... It doesn't sound like yeah, <laughs> I got to a couple of videos and I was speaking about the um, just the different ways that athletes prepare. And uh, there was a couple of guys from Training Peaks who were speaking about how uh, a lot of us think that we have to be out on the bike, out in the pool, on our feet for more and more and more and more hours, and as a result, we cook ourselves. Yeah. Whereas that was saying, like, one of the more effective ways to do it is not necessarily cook yourself. It's almost, in a sense, doing a little bit less than what's required, but enough to get you across fit, healthy, and strong, rather than just absolutely cooking yourself and getting to the line. I think psychologically, we like the idea of absolutely smashing ourselves and trying to... Um, at least psychologically convince ourselves that we've done all we need to do. What, what are your guys' take on the sort of over-preparing versus under-preparing for a marathon or for a, a long-distance race? It's interesting. I, um, I've had a bit of reflection on what my short and really unimpressive well, athletics career. And when I ran my best, when I was you know achieving, I guess, what I look back on as my proudest moments and times, I was in this unsustainable phase of hard training that I knew I was going to break, and I was training with a. Well, when you're in your best times, that was my. <laughs> <laughs> when you're in your best times, you yeah, I was. I remember I was following some got some guys training out of my skin, just on this verge of injury, and I managed to sort of nail a few races there and have, look back on those times, which I'm really proud of. It, it's um, yeah, sometimes you've just got to almost toe that that line and just get as close as you can to it without going over it, and yeah. 
you want to get the start line, I think, healthy and feeling good. If you've got any sort of tiredness or fatigue, the marathon will, will find it out. Mm. It's like the old saying, money in the bank early in a marathon sends you bankrupt later. And I think if you're starting with a bit of fatigue, or potential fatigue even, look out. It can just end ugly really quick. And it's interesting too, I, I like to say, with the marathon, like you've had one go and I've had one go years ago mm-hmm. and it's totally sucked. Um, you you might have had a bad day too, you know, mm-hmm. like... They happen. They happen. And, and a marathon is just so obvious because you, there's nowhere to hide. You're out there for three hours plus um, for the for the regular runner and um, it really just, uh, it's just for everyone to see. So in 800, you can sort of, Get away with say you're a two minute man, you, you run two five, and that's a horrible day, really. But you get away with it. But in a marathon, it's just and, and you can't do it next week, that's mm-hmm. the other thing, too. So it, it sort of hurts you. You got to do two or three years, sort of thing, unless your name's Dion. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm trying to get him on the podcast, um, he's a freak, but um, you, you know what I'm saying? So, yeah, I think you've got to get there fresh enough. But you, as you've discovered, you've got to get the miles, so it's all about miles, it's not fast, like really, it's. Four was it four fifteen to run a two fifty nine marathon to break mm-hmm. three hours? It's not fast. Yeah, that's a good segue, Tyus. Mm-hmm. What's your goal next year? Melbourne next year. What are you going to do? Well, I went out with the same. This okay. So my problem last year was I hadn't been, I hadn't raced in five years, and I thought I'm just going to break three hours. And I saw you wink at Cam, and I'm not sure what that's about, but it's just giving me a little bit of swagger. <laughs> I went out with the intention of going. All right, I'm going to break three hours. That's my goal. Yeah, and then. I spent too long listening to Motram and someone go, mate, you're running fast. You're looking good. And I go, am I really? Well, you're my hero. <laughs> Tell me more. And then in the lead up, I was running, I was running well with, with Zach and Newman and, and Riley Shaw and yeah. just having a little run around in the shorter stuff. And I thought, fuck it, maybe I'm in better form than I realised. What a philosophical question, sorry, because do you bank one early and then go for the time or do you just put it online and just go for what you think you're capable of? Well, I went for, I, I, I honestly, I didn't really think about what I was capable of. I just went out and thought, I'll just try and hold the space. Yeah. So I was I was playing it cool and I was like, yeah, I was just trying to break three hours. And then I went through halfway in an hour 19 and secretly was thinking, all right, I'm going to try and run 240 and surprise everyone. <laughs> and, uh, and the second half of that marathon shows that. Which to um, be fair, there's not many guys running 240 off 100k a week. Which, well, exactly, yeah, yeah. exactly, and that was just me totally underestimating how difficult it was to yeah. to run an event, and that's why I think I want to go back more. Not even because I think I'm capable of a lot more, but just because I don't think the well, obviously I think I'm capable of more, but yeah. I don't think the approach that I took really respected the. Um, so how are you going to change the approach? Well, I think the biggest thing that I'm going to do is just that the long run was was completely ignored on my own on my own front. Like I, I spoke to Sean Crichton on here a couple of weeks ago, and he was telling me that um, the. For the ten weeks leading up to his, um, for the ten weeks leading up to his marathon at Melbourne just a couple of weeks ago, he he banked ten weeks of thirty nine k's. Yep. Bang, but I, as I said, my longest run was thirty k, and I did that once. My other long runs were twenty five k. I did those a couple of times, and then there was just a couple of twenties. Do you know what I mean? Mm. That's going to be the biggest thing. I honestly think that's the biggest thing. That's the, and then just taking it out at a way more. Leisurely pace, like going through an hour 19, coming home in an hour 46 is ridiculous. Going through an hour 30, and if you're feeling good, coming home in an hour 29, that's a better way to run. I think you can run multiple marathons. When, you got, when you've only got the one, set your sights on one, all the pressure's on this one big day. But if you give yourself a couple of year period where you know you're going to do a few marathons, you can learn a lot about it, and you can um, and you can afford a bad day, and then not, not, not be disappointed for the rest of your life that you did a bad marathon, you know? Like, you need to do a few. I think you did a Gold Coast Melbourne double or something along those lines. Well, I was thinking, when is yeah. the Gold Coast Marathon? Because, yes, I would. June? June, July, around there. Well, that's perfect. It's, what's that June, July, August? That's four months, isn't it? Even the Canberra one's meant to be pretty good. Yeah. And it would be nice to just bank one, go out at 4.15, even with a lot in the bank, crack three hours. That's true. Tick it off. Pressure's off then to your next one where that's where you just let it go. And Yeah. Know. And as I said, bro, I'm, I'm not that stressed about the fact I ran... Three or five. I'm not. I'm not necessarily. It's not like it's eating me up. And I'm like, oh, it's just. We, me. I was talking to Jocker a couple of weeks ago. It's, like, it's just. Not, it's nice to have a, a good goal to aim towards. Well, it's funny. I was watching this cool little doco. If you get a chance, jump on YouTube. It's called Breaking Ten, and it's actually talking about the Ironman. This guy's this English bloke. He's English, but he's a bloke who's just um just a, a club sort of tri athlete. Mm-hmm. But he's just like breaking ten is the same as sort of breaking three. They're both like the the holy grail for the for the amateur. You know. Um, and yeah, and, and it's really cool. Like, you know, getting out there and, and just 
getting after that sub three. And I know there's some freak runners who probably listen to this and, yeah, sub three we're talking about. Mm-hmm. But, but it's interesting. We had a talk earlier, a little interesting. I have a little bit of a theory. This might sound a bit outlandish, yes. but I sometimes believe that professional runners are a bit soft. Because in a marathon, if you're an elite marathon runner, you run all out for only two hours or two ten. Club runners, just because they're not quite as talented, or not born, this is just purely born, this is purely God-given. Mm-hmm. I'm 97 kilos. Like, I'm just not going to run a, a 240 marathon, let alone 210, um, and not even a three-hour. It's, it's, it's purely God-given, but the effort's the same. You're still, you're still busting. You died in the ass. I died in the ass. You're hurting just as bad as these pro boys. But I reckon they're a bit soft because we're out there for three, three and a half hours. My, my, my fiancé did four hours. She's out there for four hours working. These bastards only do a two-hour workout. <laughs> so they're, she's out there for four hours. She's double the amount of effort. And I, I think in a way, pros have got a bit soft because they're only out there for a short amount of time. And it's interesting. I'll go even further. It's just I know it's going to be different for a run then. Fast runners are a bit soft even on, on, on regular running when they run in groups because they're the fastest. They run the easiest. In the group, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Like, if you're the fastest in the group, and this case happened to be you, uh, <laughs> you're doing it easy while everyone else is working harder. So they're really going hard because they have to try and keep up. So, and and, and this is just purely, this is God-given stuff. Mm-hmm. I can't do nothing about it. it. It's just, it is what it is. I don't care how much you train, I'm not doing 210. And 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 you, and you made a comment earlier a little bit about training-wise, but these guys have got all day to train because they're pros. Not, is that a bit of an outlandish statement? I feel like it is an outlandish statement, and I'm trying to get my head around it. I don't think it's fair to call an athlete soft because they've got a God-given ability to run a distance faster than another athlete. But wouldn't you say, if they, if you said to Elliot, run for three hours 30 or run for two hours, which is harder? So, so again, obviously the longer one. The, the exactly. longer one's going to be harder. Exactly. So they're in pain for three and a half hours. Elliot's had a shower, had a little nap, gone and had dinner, had a three-course meal before I get home. Is that is that fast? You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I think there's a few. There's, I'm interested to hear your opinion on this. As well, I'm interested. This is only something I sort of thought yes. of recently. It is, it's, thought, it's, it's, it's interesting. I thought. think it is because the road warriors and they're like in ultra marathon, it gets really extreme because the guys they take so much longer than you know the best guys do 100k and seven and a half seven hours. These other guys do like 14 it 14 hours. Like that's just. How do you know? How do you? Okay, so obviously, like the physiological difference is a massive. It's a yeah, massive. Absolutely. That's God given. How do you know that their psychological capacity isn't that much greater? That they're actually getting more out of themselves in that two hours than what someone like us is getting in three and a half hours. I know. It is always hard to measure. And I always actually thought that running back when I was just junior running, who's actually going the hardest here? Who actually is? It'd be, it'd be, it'd be awesome if you could measure it. Because it wouldn't be interesting if someone was thought they were going real hard, but in reality, they're not feeling nearly as bad as the next one. And we'll never know. Mm. Some people claim to be the hardest. Yeah, Herb Elliott claimed that he ran the hardest out of anyone, but... I'm pretty sure he was the most talented bloke out there too, just quietly. So I don't think it's the effort on the track or on the course. I think it's the sacrifices that are made in literally every other aspect of their life, whether it's going to bed early, leaving the party two hours early because you want your 10 hours sleep, whether it's saying no to that extra half a glass of wine or that extra block of chocolate, whether it's the stress and the mental strain of counting and tracking everything that's entering your body. I think that's... So you're saying they're, they're hard as in like... They don't do those things. I think the sacrifices made to be an elite athlete, regardless of talent, that's something that I think a lot of people don't quite quantify when they're thinking about that. I think that, you know, we might be out there for double the time or an extra hour or whatever, and, yeah, the effect on our bodies, it probably takes longer than the average show to recover than it would for the elite. However, These these guys don't do many hours working. I don't feel guilty of having this beer right now, though. And I reckon they do, and I think that's something that... But that beer, let's be honest, let's really be honest, that beer, if you're a marathon train, that would cost you, let's say, how many seconds are you going to talk here? No, I don't... We're think... not talking minutes here. No, no, we're not. But we're, I'm... Not even, we're not even going to talk anything. But potentially, we're not talking anything. I'm not I'm not talking about the quantifiable way to measure that. I'm almost talking about the psychological impact that it has. I, um, like, I've trained with athletes who would stress about going out, for having two glasses of wine on a Sunday night when they were racing on a Thursday. Yeah. And I think that stress is something that you can't sort of um, you can't sort of measure. I think anyone who's had a crack at any sport in the semi-elite or elite level throughout their 20s 
looks back at their 20s and realise it was one aspect of their life that they didn't live to their fullest potential. Now, whether that was academic, whether that was social, whether that was professional, there's always tends to be some form of sacrifice that does get made to, in order to do something to a, to a certain level. And I think that that's the trade-off. And I'm not sure that the general public, I'm not sure they respect that. We do have a bit of tall poppy syndrome in Australia as well, which definitely exists. And we, we do like to cut down the elites and, saying they do have it easy, I'm more sympathetic, I think. Yeah. But look, if you're a pro athlete and you're making plenty of money with someone like, let's say, let's go to the top of the tree, Elliot making a shitload of money. Um, how, he's training. He's doing a, one run in the morning, one run at night, and maybe the Kenyans, they do that third run if they're, a bit, if they're really going into it. They might do their core activity. And yes, they're watching their diet and watching their stuff all day long. But the club athlete, just, just to just to fight their fight. Mate, they're working nine, ten hours a day, then getting home, running their two hours, the sa- not the same, but like running their what they can do, usually probably one time a day because mm. let's be honest. Like these guys are full-time, got all the money in the world, the, pro, the top guys, all the money in the world to do it. You tell them to go work 50 hours a week in a job, Let's go travel from Geelong to Melbourne every day on a train and, and go go work eight hours and come home so they, and, you, and, and then try and do it. Would you say they're soft or are they just lucky? They're, they're born lucky. I, they're born lucky. And, and that's got nothing to do... You, us three here, all try just as hard as any of those other pros who made it as a juniors. We all try just as hard <clears throat> within a bit, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but just because they're born lucky, they, they can run a 144-800 or whatever... Um, and we run a two-minute, you know? Um, Let's look at the Australian team, for instance. I would like the data from the last few representative Australian teams about the average working week hours of the athletes representing Australia. Yeah, I, I, I think we're presuming that they're just they're making money out of no, it. No, I'm, talk, I'm talking top guys. I mean, Liam Adams is a tradie. Yeah. I'm, to, I'm, like, talk, I'm talking elite guys. I work eight hours as a teacher, and I come home tired, and he's on the tools and then tries to bust out what I presume would be 100-mile weeks. And I think that... I understand you're talking about the top guys, but I think we're maybe, you know, missing. Yeah, maybe the top guys do have it lucky to the extent where maybe they're not, they don't have the understanding. And I think we could agree that potentially they don't, but how could they have the understanding? And I guess why should we criticise that they don't? Because there's no way they could. Versus, yeah, I think even the Australian elites, I, I think they do get to a stage where, yeah, there's sacrifices that are being made, but I still think there's sacrifices there. Like, you look at guys that are, you know, recently retired from the sport and I think there's professional sacrifices they make just to earn potentially 40, 50 grand a year throughout their 20s, get to 30, realise they've never had a real job, have to get life sorted. I think that, I think it does go both ways a little bit. But I liked your point, is it soft or is it just lucky or and what's the best way to categorise that? Mm. But I just, I still come back to my argument that running for a prolonged period of time, just as hard or with an give or take a little bit, it's a lot harder. It's just simply, it just simply is. Two hour runs harder than one hour run. As simple as that. But maybe we get ourselves into the the argument, which I think is a bit of a round circle, silly argument over, you know, comparing apples and oranges, like which run is worth more, Kipchoge's sub two or Kipchoge's current official world record, which one's the better run. I'm not sure you can compare it. I think they're just different. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's just a point. Mm. I don't think I've heard anyone say what I've just said, yeah. but it's just something I've thought about, and I just think it's just a different point of view. Just, just sticking up, just because maybe I'm a club runner now, <laughs> I'm just sticking up for the club runners out there. Oh, and I'm think. sure there's lots of people out there who the goal is to break through. And yeah, not to talk over myself, but it is what you God given given. Like you just can't help it. Mm. You really can't. Like, and we both know. You know, you train to your 25, 26 going as hard as you can can and you get to a level and it's just it just is what it is mm. and everyone's the same like everyone's got a got a got a limit it really it really does in, in a way uh, in, and um just circling on that limit it's interesting just just change topic a little bit now since we've probably covered that mm. um as interesting i was going to say about when you're in your prime um taking advantage of your prime um and as much was the example before, we're talking about it. Like, um, um, and I was just 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 coming on if you guys any other examples, but um, these ten k time, mm-hmm. I'm sure he could have owned the Australian record for the ten k if he did one properly when he's in his prime back in say oh five oh six oh seven. 
Um, I don't know, what do you guys think? It is interesting. I think, well, I, I can't remember if it was a little bit before 05, 06, 07, but I remember we had a couple of cracks at the 10K event. I'm not sure if he was, I'm sure he would have been going for the record, but I reckon he pulled up at about 27.50. Um, like what you said, I, I reckon like I was probably capable of running the marathon faster than I did last year. Someone like Mottram is was definitely capable of, of at least... I think it was at that stage it was Shawnee Crichton's record. He was at least capable of giving it a shake. I just reckon he didn't didn't rock up on the day 100% ready to roll. Do you well, know I think I mean? you, need, you, need, you need to have a good day. And plus, he didn't prioritise that um, that race. Like He was thinking 3K, 5K world champs, 500 metres. Yeah. And I think he just did it early in the season, that 10K. And mm. I think Stanford – did his Stanford one did? Is that what the one he did? Oh, I can't I don't I know. Anyway. But, like, yeah, I don't think he ever put much. But I'm just saying, if he, in his prime, it's a shame now, I just thought looking back on his sort of legacy, I think he should have owned that record. Yeah. And uh, it would still stand today. I, th- I think he would have pushed 27. With a 12.55 PB, I think he would have got close to 27 flat. You would fix it. I reckon but, Stewie, if Stewie hits one now, is another oh, example yeah. of someone who could Stewie, give that a shake. Stewie, but you never know what's – this is nothing. You don't know what's around the corner. For all you know, <laughs> Stewie, I've, I've never met him himself, but he yeah. sounds like a legend. Yeah. Um. Stewie should take advantage of some of these moments, but you don't know what's around the court. For all he knows, yeah. he's going to do his Achilles next to you and you, and you can't quite produce again. Yes. Uh, what I'm saying, when you're in prime, uh, that's what my point is. Take advantage. Get your time because they might be the times you live with for every life, you know, for the rest, mm. rest of your days. So, do you know what the problem with Stewie is? I think we just look at his physical frame and think he's better suited for longer distances. I think he's a skinny guy, even skinny compared to the others, and I think we see him and he has the physical appearance of a marathon of 10K. He's around 331. I'd argue why change. It's a fair point, but Mo Farah also has run 328. Yep. And he's run 1240. That, that 328. And how did he go at Chicago? Yeah, no, it's a fair point. But what I'm saying is um, I, I don't think we can look at one of their shorter events and say, okay, that's great. Let's just stick with that. When it might actually just be an incredible foundation for the longer events. For example, it's always nice for a marathon runner to line up on marathon day with a fast half marathon. Psychologically, that's comfortable. I reckon Stewie, um, yes, he's run an incredible 331. Agree with you. Probably could go faster. Yep. I hope he can. Um, Drinking's got, got a faster time. I reckon he does. Well, here's, here's what Coles Birmingham um, taught me. He said once you start running one particular time consistently, yep. like if you can run it like 331, 331, 331, 331, that's usually a sign you're ready for your breakthrough. Like If you can do that consistently, yep. if you're a little bit sporadic with your performance at 331, 335, 336, 333, um, you might be around your limit. But I think Stewie's run 331 two or three times now yeah. consistently. Even Gregson hasn't done that. Gregson's run a 331 low, um, and I think his second fastest time is 332 high. Yeah, and um, Gregson's that consistent three thirty-five guy. Where we, we, you see him on the start line, you know he's going to, you know, just drop the three thirty-five. And I don't know. I still think Stewie. If I'm, you know, I think he's capable clearly of a sub thirteen. Mm-hmm. I think he's capable of almost. That'd be, that'd be sick, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah but I, I think he can break. God, I feel like eleven-year-old boy sounds sick, but yeah. um, <laughs> but twelve fifty-nine. But that is. Stewie, it, yeah, it is Stewie can run twelve fifty-nine. Could he? Now, Could he threaten yes. Mottram? Yes. Oh, really? Yes, he can. He's got 10 seconds to go. Well, Mottram didn't run 331. Seconds. He's also run, he's, man, he's a second and a half outside. Mottram ran 803. True. That's it. That's true. That's his best run probably ever. I would yeah. say that better than, yeah, that's better than 1255. Yeah, probably, probably. I think is. so. That's insane time. It's an insane time. But, but um, Stewie's gone 734. Stewie's run 734. Oh, yeah, um, that's quick. Mate, he's, put it this way. He's around the, he's run a faster 1500 than Mottram. He's 3K mm-hmm. times around the mark. I'd like to see it. I'd like to um, see it. Mate, it couldn't happen to a better bloke. No, I'm, I'm his biggest fan. And so like, I, I guess my point is, I feel like we're saying he's on the cusp of the Australian record over 1500 yet. Mm-hmm. We're... We're almost sort of pigeonholing him as our the next 10K Australian record holder. Nail the Australian 1500 record, blow it out of the yep. water, run a 329, potentially make an Olympic final next year over the 15 and or the 5. Mm-hmm. And no, then, I agree yeah. with that. I agree. I see what you're saying. Yeah, maybe make the most of it while you're there. Um, and what's but, your better medal chance in, mate? He's yeah. not medal over 10 24 or something? Yeah, he's in If five, Matt Central hits yeah. those guys can win medals over 15 and 5, yep. he is, I'll put it out there, if he's winning an Olympic or World Champs medal, yeah. It's over 15 or 5. He'll never do it over 15. You know, I reckon two with medals are that, that. It's amazing. I, I get the feeling, and I'm sure athletes can agree, winning a medal at the World Champs is say here, and mm-hmm. for you guys listening, I'm talking like up to sort of neck level, but get, get a medal at Olympics. It ramps up, doesn't it? It really does. Like, 
and you can go all the way back to the seventies with Lassavier, and like in between Olympics, he's doing bugger all. Come Olympic year, the shit is on, and yeah. and it just next year, twenty twenty, like that little chance we just watched um, last month. Come next year, it's a whole different yeah, ball game. Pe- people just set the sights four years out. It's the main one. It's yeah. the big big dog. You know, like it's the one you want, and it goes it goes way harder. I reckon. I reckon say tenth place at a world title is probably. 15th, 16th at Olympic Games, like equivalent, if you know what I mean. Like, mm-hmm. Does that make sense? So that might feel a bit weird there. Like, I think in terms of public recognition, re- recognition, yes. But, but but don't you think everyone gears up though for Olympics, don't they? They work in four-year cycles, don't you, as an athlete? Yeah, you try to. Sometimes I think it's just unfortunate when that doesn't fall into the athlete's prime. I agree, Ron Clark. Um, yeah. yeah, and yeah. I also think it's it's maybe a little bit, got to be careful to overestimate how much a world champs medal is worth. I think that's worth um, a lot. By yes, the, way. the the Shit fact load. the fact that uh, uh, the Olympic Games, as you say, that is that's the pinnacle. But at the same time, it's nice every couple of years for an athlete to have the chance to go, "Holy crap, I'm a chance at a world championship medal right here." Yeah, I think uh, put it this way, I, I don't believe that there'd be any athlete out there who'd be putting more attention on the Olympics than on a world championship. Agreed. No, no, I disagree. I, I think the Olympics is the main big dog, mm-hmm. and I think each year. There's usually a world title or a Commonwealth Games sort of set up every year, and I think that's a great thing to build towards each year. But I think ultimately in every athlete, Olympic athlete's mind is the four-year window, and they know that I'm sure if you had some guys, if you said to them a month before this world titles, you can run this world titles, but you're actually going to get injured and it's going to upset your preparation for next mm-hmm. year, which one are you going to do? I think a lot of them would probably be highly inclined to back off. Let's I, wait. Let's go for twenty twenty. I agree. Like if you're looking back on history and saying, "What would you rather? Would you rather Olympic gold or world champs gold?" Obviously, you want Olympic gold. But what I'm trying to say is, I don't think the preparation would be more serious for an Olympics than it would be for a world champs. I reckon. Yeah, I, I would say. I would say that if I was in a it wouldn't change. You're saying I, I don't think so. Not yeah. if you knew what worked for you. Because obviously your goal for both of those events would be to finish as highly as you possibly could. Yeah, yeah. And to finish as highly as you possibly could, you need to put in the work that you think you need to be able to. Yeah. You'd be crazy to go to a world champs not putting in your 100% best effort. Oh, they, they definitely do. They yeah. definitely do. But are you saying that you just think it's... I, I still think it's in the back of everyone's mind, the focus. It's on a four-year cycle. I think it'd have to be. Like like you said, Olympic gold is so much higher. There's so much bigger stakes. Everything's up. You go right to the financial reward. It's so much more, you know... Just everything. It just goes up. So it has to be get more attention. Yeah. It has to get more. It just has to. And I think it does. That's mm-hmm. my, I think. And far, it's, it's one of those things as well. It's, um, yeah, but before we went down that down that little rabbit hole, we were speaking about um, just the value that does come with like an Olympic gold medal. I reckon, or an Olympic medal, I reckon we've had some bloody, we've had some people come close-ish. Like, okay, so Ryan Gregson in 2016 finished ninth or something in his, in his, it was, like it's he great. Had a great. Had a great he, Olympics. He had a great Olympics. Uh, I reckon the next step, once we've talked about, once we've talked about training and preparing and making sure you're at the actual best physical shape you can possibly be at, we've also got to start looking at like the tactical approach to races. Yeah. I think there's there's been so many athletes that I watch. Okay, I, and, and, we, and we're armchair critics. Let's be I, honest. Like I, we're sitting back and just critics from, um, well, I am particularly. Um, but yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm bringing a spot on. Yeah, I, I just I want to see. I'd be really interested, um, and I know I know Maddie's got some thoughts on this as well. But I'd be really interested to. Um, I, I don't see why Gregson couldn't have medaled in 2016. Well, I'm gonna. This is what I'm gonna. This is my pet hate, and I hope you guys can answer this for me because I, I can't get it right. And I did mention this to you guys before we started recording. You got a 1500 meter right. 1500 minutes and these guys Olympic guys they're all close to 330 or under the top guys you're an Olympic final and Rio was a doozy let's be honest but you're an Olympic final any sort of world title more often than not the race is run very slow 61 62s and I don't know what came on they did in Rio it was ridiculous um, I could have kept up um, <laughs> it was it's that slow. So, right. So, let's, so, you take off. You're doing your 62s, right? Which, for Stuart McSwain's, when he can average 50, just over 56 seconds for 15, is a joke. Like, 52s to him is... It's, it's 5K pace. Mm. And, he's, and he's running along. So, everyone's running along. Tap, 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 tap. Running along. One lap, 62s. Two lap, 204. Coming around 
900,000 metres, 500 to go, it's still slow. People aren't even puffing. If these are these Olympic. These are 328 men, 330, 331, the who's who of Olympics. Come the fit, you're running along, right? And this is the tactics. You're running along. You realize yourself, alarm bells should be ringing off your head. Alarm bells should be going off in your head. I'm sorry, I'm getting tongue tied. Um, this is going to be a sprint, chapter and obvious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 400 meters to go, not far to go. Mm-hmm. 400 meters. This is really short. You've got 12 athletes bunched together. So it's going to be two wide, three wide, four abreast across the track. Why in God's name, can one of you please tell me, why don't these athletes get to the front and sit right at the front as the bell rings when, the, when they're jogging, basically? Let's say they're jogging. Because you be honest, you go down and race your mate around a track at 400 metres. If you get a couple of metres on him in a 400-metre race... It's bloody hard to get past, even if you're a few seconds quicker than the bloke. If he starts two, three, four, five minutes ahead of you, good luck chasing him down. Yeah. One, he's got the inside track. Two, he's got a head of steam up and he's at the front and got that extra bit of energy. Three, you've got to go wide. And not only that, you've got other athletes everywhere going shit everywhere. So, Greg says I'm sure a top bloke, but that Olympic one, that Olympic race did my head in. But I thought he could sneak a medal. And can Maddie please, the guru... <laughs> <laughs> Tell me why. Why are why did Gregson go radio? This is slow as shit, this race. This is going to be a 51 second last lap. I'm only a 49 second man. I haven't got much more top speed than that. If I give Centrowich half a meter, I'm screwed. Why doesn't he give himself half a meter in front and give himself every goddamn chance? I guess looking at that example you've used, Jocko, and I appreciate the passion. Um, I don't think there'd be many people out there who look at Gregson's races and say that. Was, I, that I'm was not picking on Gregson. This happens yeah. every race. Yeah, every race. Happened at the World Titles. I was just making an example. Yeah. That was the, that was the, the bigger one because that was a shockingly slow race. Yeah. I, I guess then, what percentage of athletes at the world stage or an Olympic final would you say race tactically astutely? And I've often thought about this, and I would say I would be confident in the ability of about twenty percent of those athletes. So if we're talking middle distance, let's look at the Matthew Centrowitzes and the Nick Willises, who are. Very reliably in the right spot at the right time. And there's other athletes that aren't. And I, I genuinely think there are just some athletes who have that innate ability to be able to read the play. I'm not sure it's as simple as just saying be in front of the bell with a slow race because I think anyone who's raced at any level realises that having the fastest 400 PB in the race doesn't necessarily mean you can use it even off a slow pace. I agree. And, and I think... I mean, but, but, there is an ego thing as well that every middle distance athlete likes to think they've got the best last one fifty. I, 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 yeah, I know what you're saying there, but the facts are the facts. If you're coming to four meters to go, you're getting basically a handicap. So who do you blame? Is it athlete agency or is it a, a an area of preparation with more well, work to be? I'm done? starting to think I blame the coaches. Can I? I just want to check. Why, why isn't the coach getting in these guys' ear? Yeah, you know, horse racing is the same thing. You see those jockeys get absolutely belted after a race if they aren't <laughs> positioning their horses in the right spot. Yeah, because you just get caught out and you get stuck behind. Why aren't these runners doing the same thing? Or it, explain it to me. I still can't. You, someone explain it to me. I don't get it. I, I reckon. And also, I'm not saying the front either. Gabriel was the ultimate. And I know he's the best runner of all time too. That guy was second, sitting in the perfect position the whole bloody way. He's the smartest run around. I know he's the best of all time too. But he never made every move. He was there to go. You watch the Atlanta Olympics when Paul Turgot, he's right there ready to pounce on Paul Turgot's heels as he goes with five laps to go. Mm. Like, if he was sitting back, the back of the pack, Turgot could have been gone. And she's all over. And that's enough five laps to go. But I'm saying even with, with a lap to go, you've got to be right there. Mm. Right there. And even... um. Even when Turgut surprised him, speaking of Turgebra, at the Sydney Olympics with 230 metres to go or so, managed to whiz past him, Gebra's in the perfect spot. He's sitting there right on the shoulder of the top. He's able to react. And if he was not sitting there, Tice, you would answer this and you'll be able to tell me exactly right. Gebra wouldn't be a double Olympic champion. Yeah. If he wasn't there on that day, I know he had a dodgy Achilles and all, but it was ridiculous how he won. However, he never would have got that Turgut got him. Never would have got it. If he was sitting behind Turgut, or behind Mezabu, whoever's in that race, I think, yeah. that day. He was screwed. Turgat, Olympic champion, my favourite runner of all time, becomes Olympic champion that day. But that, that 9100, that saved him. His tactical nous of sitting right at the front, covering every move. Yeah. So, so, Jocko, what got do you, to sit towards the front. What do you have to offer that clearly these athletes are missing out on at the moment? 
As in, if they're not getting the advice or the tactical now, how do we package that or how how do you coach that? Is it coachable? I, I don't think it is, personally. I, I've, I've seen some dumb, I've, fast runners before. I, I reckon, yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I agree. Right. I, I think one maybe of the, the moment gets to them. Maybe they freak out Well, out this is exactly what I was about to say. I think one thing that we've overlooked through this whole conversation is if you're a Ryan Gregson and you're running in your first Olympic final, first Australian to do I hate, that we're, pe- years, I hate that we're picking up Ryan Gregson. Well, no, no. He's, um, he's uh, what do you call it? He's, it's, and I'm, I'm not even, we're not even talking obvious about obvious example. But I reckon yeah, he, he could have stuck a mill that in, day. In fairness as well, he's, he's Australia's best athlete. I've got nothing he could have stuck a steam train. I've got nothing but respect for the guy. And that's why I'm using as a, using him as an example because he is clearly like Australia. He's, he's the record holder. Like you can't, you can't argue with the champ. He's, he's the champ. Three times, two times. No three Australian times. in history has run faster than him, and that's a fact, and that stands. Um, and I'm sure he's got something. To, I'm, I'm going to try and get him on because I'd love to ask him the question just to right. pick his brains. It's interesting. But he, here's what I want to say. You've got to ask I us think, these next guys. I, we cannot underestimate the impact that a stadium of 80,000 people would have in your first Olympic final. Um, you're right. You're right. We look at, I think from our position, we look at a bloke like Gregson and just assume this guy's got all the answers. He's a he is a confident guy. He's he's got swagger on the Australian circuit and on the international circuit. But I think when you're lining up against guys and you, in fact, you're not even close to the fastest bloke in the field. When you're a lap out of an Olympic final, just being within four meters of that front place probably would feel exciting. And the he probably looks back and says, "Shit, like that was an opportunity that I needed to be closer to the front." Maybe in that particular situation, he's thinking, "Oh my god, like I am." It would be hard not to be overawed, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Mm. And, um, yeah, I guess, like, the other example that immediately comes to mind is, let's look at the, you know, 06 Commonwealth Games 5K. Like, let's look at Mottram's tactics that day. Got to the front, was pushing from the bell, and mm-hmm. got overtaken. And I think you look at that, and then you often ask questions, did he run that t- as tactically astutely as he could have? And I'm not sure, personally. I can't say I've given it the greatest amount of thought over the years, but I'm not sure it's as simple as... Um, you know, leading from the front and, and that being the, the main part. Oh, I didn't say like, leading from the front. I definitely didn't say that. I was just saying, yeah. Well, well yeah, from the final belt. My, yes, my yeah. example was the slow 1500 5K race. Where yeah. You just, you know what's going to be sprinted. That, that was just my little technical mm-hmm. Yeah. I, was, I just don't quite get that little bit. It's a frustrating race to watch. It's a frustrating yeah. race yeah. to watch. Because you can quite easily get caught out the back. And, and it's yeah. all over. Yeah, it's all correct. over. Yeah. Mm. You lose a step. Like, yeah. you, you and me go around, you us three go around 400 metres right now. Like, you give me, you're faster than me. You give me three meters. It's bloody hard work. Yeah. Well, let's. Anyway. Do you know what I, what I think causes the problem? And this is my two cents. Okay, you're an Australian athlete. You're over in Europe and you've run three thirty-five. How many tactical races do you think you're racing? Not many. Up? You go on flat out. That's the point. every race you're in. You go on absolutely tongue out, flat out. So there you go. There's, there's no technical practice. So we're criticizing a skill they don't because, practice. But they get in three twenty nine races all the time, and they're not three twenty nine athletes. For those three thirty five guys, then enter a three forty five race do- in Australia, yeah. and they don't need to be tactically astute because they, they know can just can speed correct. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, uh, yeah, yeah, it is, it is interesting. It is interesting, and I look at a bloke. Maybe it is something that's um, it is almost a natural talent because you look at a nineteen year old kid like Ingebrigtsen. You look at him in a strung out race. He knows and how to run. Bro, he knows Properly how to race. Run. He knows how to race, he, sorry. He knows well, how to race. I, I remember. I Training remember, with three brothers, he's all, two, two older brothers. Yeah, all but, but like I think, and one thing is he's incredibly confident. He's got the experience in the he, fact he's that got the talent. he's got yeah. his brothers and his talent. But he's one guy, and you mentioned Centurits before. I reckon if I had to list, maybe not right now, maybe not in his current form, but if I had to look at a bloke's career and in the amount of races that he's lined up, Against blokes who are probably better athletes than him, and outkick them or outsmarted them or just finished it. There was a there was a period of about eighteen months or two years where I just he just couldn't be touched. And I think I think uh, the um, the Olympic final was the pinnacle of that. And obviously, then that opens a whole another can of worms. People say, "What's the matter with him at the moment?" Well, the fact is, it's pretty hard. I think like I can't imagine how I would find motivation after achieving like the goal of your life. Then going, okay, well. <laughs> Where to from here? But I think him as an athlete is one that should be sort of really looked up to in this sense. And I think I think we've got a lot to learn from a from a bloke like Centurits and Willis, like you mentioned earlier, Maddie. Yeah, totally agree. I just think, and they don't. It's not just a one-stop for them. It's, you can regularly trust them about what they're going to do. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's just that tactical now. So not, I'm not sure if that's the American collegiate system. Um, influence yeah. because like they grow up, they they race a lot over mm-hmm. the span of four years. And they get those tactical races, and I'm just not sure the elite guys in Australia, are, you know, basically get that. And mm-hmm. I think that's probably the issue. You practice a skill, you get better at it. 
Good call. Yeah, I love that. Far out. All right. I hope we've solved Australia's athletic problems. <laughs> but it is. It's important to talk about this stuff, I think, because... Um, I'm sure people have the same frustrations watching it. And well, Matty, and it's not just at Olympic level. Matty told me before that he used to get frustrated watching my tactics. Oh, you were shocking, man. But the only race that you could give me as an example was a race I, I won by 10 metres. You should have won by 20. Yeah, but... <laughs> so Ty's had this habit of getting with 200 to go and thinking that's what I'm going to go, and he would go around the pack, around the bend, which, and which... probably run an extra 10 metres. Yeah. And stand on top of the podium, or did you want to, you want to finish that last hurdle? Well, whilst I was watching from the sideline, running, <laughs> running in the sea race that night. No, so, they, they <laughs> hamburgers. But, but I, I totally get what you're saying. Like, yeah. I, I understand what you're saying. It's, it's. I, I don't want this to be taken as something where. Um, and fact, they've got they're, they're tough guys. Like I, I don't want this to be taken as something where we're criticising them as athletes. I'm we're just. As you said, armchair critics from the sideline guy. Okay, yeah. like this is what we observed. Yeah, it's like the Australian Open. Every year it comes around. You've got all of Australia who turns into an Australian professional tennis player. I'm one of them. Do you know what I mean? I've got every opinion and no idea when it comes to tennis. But I think this is a, this is different. Like we've all taken part in athletics. We can all appreciate tactics. You don't have to be a runner to appreciate tactics. You mentioned um, horse riding before. I think anyone who can see the way a race pans out um, should be able to give it. Should have the opportunity to at least be able to voice their opinion. That's all this is. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, mm. and people do. It's like talking about football, everyone uh-huh. voices their opinion on what should happen and shouldn't happen out in the field, sort of thing. So, um, no, it, it, yeah, it is interesting. But can, can we name some races off the top of your head mm-hmm. that have been run and won by somebody who probably just ran tactically better and wasn't really the actual best? If you, what I'm trying to say is, if you had all the athletes just go flat out, mm-hmm. who's actually is the fastest runner? Or someone who's won race. I think obviously Centrovich would he would you say he was the fastest? They all went flat out. Was he, he didn't have the fastest PB that year? I don't think. No, no. Centrovich is fastest time. I don't think he's broken three thirty. Yeah. Uh, there was yeah. plenty. I think there was plenty of blokes in that final who've broken three thirty. And, and this is my, this is my own personal hate. People don't agree with this. I'm sure. But I oh, I don't know how you sleep at night. <laughs> <laughs> this is a big, big thing. Yeah. But, you go to you go to any race. I don't care if it's your local fun run. Yeah. If you're gonna lose, and this, this is exactly how I ran. I was I was a terrible runner. I'm not gonna lie. But <laughs> if you're gonna lose, at least lose doing your best time or doing your best. And maybe I'm I'm pinching a bit of prefontaine type type mentality a bit. But if you're gonna beat me this particular day, at least I want to walk away with a PB or with my absolute best effort out there. I, 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 ran, I remember I probably I did once in my life in my high school days, I did a tactical race, and I finished, and I felt fresh as a daisy. I sprinted the last 200 metres with the pack and lost the course. And, um, and I remember walking away and think, that's the shittest feeling, knowing that I didn't race my hardest around this track today, and, and, and I lost anyway. And I probably would have lost anyway if I went flat out. But what I'm trying to say is, I, I don't know, what do you guys think of that? Do you guys Did you have that moment, or did... Or are you one of those ones? I get heat. Don't don't. This is this is not heats and this is not semi final. Yeah. I'm talking just yeah. pure. This is diamond league type race or your local fun run. This is you know. What do you guys think of that sort of scenario? Or are you happy to go out and have a hit out? I know you used to do a lot of races that weren't races. If you know what I mean, they were just hit outs. If you know what I mean, like yeah. you would train all week and still race on a Saturday. Well, I think oh yeah. For for me personally, I think uh, I, I like the idea of if you're going to get beaten, at least run your fastest time. However. Um, I reckon we can make the mistake of thinking that as because you're front running and push. Put it this way: I don't think any of my fastest times were done running off the front of a pack. I, I didn't say front. I didn't say front running. I just said running your best time. So you, you got to try and think of the way to run the distance as best you can, knowing that you gave it everything and walk away. Unless you've lost, you lost. That's what I'm sort of saying. That, that's the mentality it's, I like. It's hard because sometimes and, and, that comes with running middle of the pack and not leading a single second of the race yes, until you're yeah. trying to go around. And sometimes when that doesn't pay off, and you realise that you're not hitting the splits that you don't want, you know that you want to, that it's, it's puts you in a bit of a precarious situation, doesn't it? It's 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 tricky. Yeah, yeah I don't know if I totally understand the question. To be honest, like I, so you, I'm just saying when you finish a race, I think I always like to have the feeling of it. And I keep saying it, but just like as a club runner, I like the feeling of knowing that you're giving it your best. Mm-hmm. Did you ever run a race where you didn't give it your best? You held back and held back and held back for various reasons. But did that give you a sense of accomplishment at the end of the day? Or what would you rather? The other question is, what would you rather win and miss your PB and run, miss your fifteen hundred PB by five seconds, or come forth and run a three second PB? 
win well, a lot though. Win a state championship or win a lot of big miles. Maybe. Yeah, I, I think, think it's a very yeah. loose question. It, it yeah. is. And I also think... Um, I, I was always one PB. I didn't like... And it probably comes back to you can't really help what other people do. Well, I think, I think one of my best races was in... It was, I think it was 2011. Um, so the year before, I, I ran a PB. I ran 8.10 for 3K and I came fourth or something in the yep. New South Wales trials. The next year, I came fourth again in what I think was a way better race. I think probably maybe one of my best races I've ever run. I finished fourth or fifth in 8.13. Um, the reason I say that is because um, I just remember finishing, going, okay, tactically that was great. On paper, the time was slower. Um, and I think, it, it, yeah, it, it sort of it varies based on how you're measuring it. Like if you're going to look at it purely from um, a tactical point of view, that was my best tactical race, I think. Yeah. Um, I'm glad I ran my PB the year before. Yeah, um, yeah. But I wouldn't have said that I put in any less effort to the year after when I ran three seconds slower for fourth place as what I did the year before. Am I, am I putting too much on PBs? Uh, I'm not sure that's the case, but no one sits back five years after they stop running and talk about the time that you came mid-pack, but you ran tactically astute. You, you talk about the time you ran fast. Yeah. That's why you're in the sport. That's what yeah. I think. That's what I think. But, yeah. And that's what I think in the end, I would Unless say, you're centuries and you win Olympic gold medal because you're tactically astute there. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what we're all talking about, aren't we? Yeah. And, well, that, what I'm sure there's 11 people. I mean, 12 on a final, 12 on a final, I'm sure there's 11 people who think, oh my God, what happened in that race? Yeah. And I'm sure they have restless nights about that. Because, even, because I, I don't think the finishing order was probably highly likely that it wasn't representative of. How good those athletes were. Do you remember the little Portuguese bloke, Rui de Silva? Or yes. Rui Silva? Yeah. I reckon he'd be one bloke. I, I, if you get a chance, jump on YouTube. I reckon with a lap to go, Rui Silva in the 2004 Olympic final was know, pretty much I in know. last place. I reckon he would have come close to closing that lap faster than El Grouge and Lagat. Don't get me started, bro. And he finished oh, third. Bro, don't get me started. <laughs> what did I just talk about for the last 20 minutes? It does my head in. <laughs> Does my head in? You watch the commenta- you watch the commentating of I think it's Brucey uh-huh. McAvaney. He goes coming to the straight and it's like oh, it was El Grouge in front, Lagat's coming at him, or is Rui Silva going to run all over him? Rui Silva was there, yeah, and he ran just as fast as those boys on the last lap. I'm not saying he would have beaten El Grouge, but El Grouge was vulnerable that year. Let's mm-hmm. be honest. He ran. He got smacked a few about a few weeks before that race, and Lagat was Lagat, but. Rui Silva wasn't a fast race, and if you and just finishing off, and we might change topic after this. But El Garouge, why would you hang around around three thirty four for? Letting all these pricks get involved, drop it down to three twenty seven. You and Lagat duking it out. Everyone else can't do that. Mm. Why would he risk? Uh, yeah, but he that was a ridiculous race. He went to the front. <laughs> I, have have put it up. I wish I wish the audience could see your eyes right now. <laughs> but, no, but no, no, I don't. It's probably my favorite race of all time. Yeah, yeah. Huge. Oh, yeah. I would love to get go through some stats here of Olympic finals and, and rank the top 10 finishing order with the top 10 PBs and actually see if there is a correlation. It'd be interesting. I, little, I, little I, I, project. Could, I couldn't get, I couldn't actually guess with how but that the distance hasn't go. changed. Yeah. I know conditions can change and you need pacemaking, cut, cut the wind and so forth. But like, I, I think I make a valid point. Why would El Baruch run eight seconds or so slower than his PB and, and risk a Rui de Silva who's never broken 330 before Coming over the top of it. Do you want to know like, what, what, I think? what? What Warren Rennes think? He loses his third Olympics. Rui Silva beats him. Do you want to know why? That would be. I think he would do that because I think you know El Garouge in his top form. How much slower do you think he would be time trial on your mile or fifteen hundred? Do you think he? Do you think he's? You he could run a PB time trial. Yeah, slower? I don't know what he'd run. Well, it, was, it wouldn't be PB. He was renowned in his diamond leagues back in the day for oh, the gold leagues. He yeah. always one hundred percent of the well, time. Well, that was his thing. Sacrificed. Well, that's what cost him Sydney. That's what cost him Sydney. He couldn't, so, couldn't quite handle the pace. Was weird. So my point is, if we're in a grand, so there's, a, mm-hmm. there's, a, there's a time cost there for him to front run and, yeah. and pace yeah. it. I'm not saying. Yeah, that. I think it guarantees him top two, but I don't. Think, but yeah. I, maybe get his countrymen to lead out, which he didn't do in that race. And that, that oh, I'm glad that doesn't happen in Olympics, mate. I would. But can you do it all the time? Yeah, but can you do it every race? Sometimes. And Ethiopians, they get involved. Not anymore. Not anymore. They don't. They do it a bit. When's the last race you saw it? I reckon it was the last um, at the World Titles. Didn't they do it? A couple weeks ago. Yeah, Kenyans got together a bit and did a bit. In the steeplechase, they do it. I didn't watch the steeple, but yeah, I I don't think it's as big as it used to be. I I sort of agree. I love it though. Why not? Gang up on them. And do it. They do. The Kenyans did the best back in the nineties and then you got cross country days, pool to get days. Yeah, they used a monster Gebra, absolutely yeah. monstering. <laughs> Even though Gebra, I don't know if Gebra could beat Turgat. 
If you haven't noticed, Turgo's my favourite runner of all time. <laughs> but, yeah, the, the Kenyans are tough. Mm. They just wear you out. They're awesome. I think we've solved a couple of problems. Have we? A couple. I hope so. I feel like we don't even need a guru's grill today. We've just. I think we're getting a few things off our chest, <laughs> aren't we, today? Yeah, I'm not sure I have a grill. Yeah. Yeah. Alright, well, that's good. We're going to end it there? Uh, I think we can. That was a good chat. Good chat. <laughs> feel solemn all of a sudden here, guys. I feel quite reflective. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, thanks for coming on, boys. We'll do this again real soon. Cheers. See you guys.